Let's just pray and commit the rest of the meeting unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Our dear Lord and Heavenly Father, Lord, Lord, this is your tabernacle, Lord. These are your people, Lord, and this is your word, Lord. And we have come, Lord, to hear from you, Lord. We worship you, Lord. We give you all praise and glory, Lord. We lift your name on high, Lord, and we exalt you, Lord. And we worship you, Lord. And Lord, we say, Lord, that there's none like you, Lord. And we come now, Lord, to feed on your word, Lord. Speak to your people, Lord. Father, glorify your Son. And let the Comforter move and brood in this tabernacle among his people. And let your name be glorified, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, I asked the Lord what he wanted me to bring this morning because, you know, a word from a man is useless and it's null and void. So you have to seek the Lord for the word. And last week the word came and I went round and round in my head and then this week I penned it, I wrote it down. And the Lord gave me two words to bring to you this morning. One word's called toiling, and the other word's called called. And he brought me to Matthew chapter 14. And I want to give you a wee backdrop to Matthew chapter 14, and what has happened at the start of the chapter. And then we'll go into the rest of the chapter, and what is going on at the start of the chapter, what has happened, what are the events. And then we'll move into the second part of the chapter. In Matthew 14, an event leading up to the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is north of Israel. Half will be in the Golan Heights, so the Sea of Galilee is north. We're north of Israel. The sea of Galilee is 13 miles long and 8 miles wide. That's very important because we're going to come to that later on. It's 13 miles long and 8 miles wide. Capernaum where Jesus had based his home during much of his ministry, was situated on Galilee's shores. The River Jordan would run south from Galilee into the Dead Sea. To row the width of the Sea of Galilee on a normal day would take one to two hours. So I want you to remember the width of the sea is eight miles, and to row it on a normal day without any winds would be one two hours. John the Baptist has just been beheaded by Herod the Tetrarch or Herod Antipas, the son of Herod himself, who sought to have the lovely Lord Jesus Christ murdered when he was a babe. He was ruler over one-fourth of that kingdom at that time, Galilee and Perea, from 4 BC to AD 39. Jesus has done one of the greatest miracles of feeding the 5,000 near Bethesda, close to the Sea of Galilee, witnessed by the disciples, although the number was probably a lot more. It was probably about 15,000. And how do you get? You always heard about Jesus fed the 5,000. But how, how do you get to the figure of about 15,000? Well, it says in Matthew 14 and verse 21, and they that had eaten were about 5,000 men. 5,000 men at, but there's more to the verse. It says, beside women and children. 
So the 5,000 men were fed. But it says beside women and children. And to get a more accurate reading than that, go to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6 and the verse 40. And how did they get to 5,000 men? How do you get to that figure? Well, it says in the account in Mark 6 and verse 40, and they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. So the men sat by ranks of hundreds and fifties. But that was the men. It didn't count the women and the children. So if you add in the women and the children, you'll probably get to about 15,000 was actually fed with five loaves and two fishes. And this is what's happened at the start of this chapter. It's in Galilee, north of Israel. John the Baptist has been beheaded. And Jesus has fed the 5,000 and carried out a mighty miracle. Jesus then sends the multitude away because the multitude were following Jesus and the disciples. He tells the disciples to go over to Galilee. This is important. Jesus sends the multitude away. And he tells the disciples to go over the sea. And he says, go before him. So he says to the disciples, go before me. I'll meet you on the other side. So a day of great sadness, John the Baptist has been beheaded. A day of mighty miracles, Jesus has fed the 5,000. And a day of joy at being with Jesus, watching him, listening to his words, feeding the five thousands, and he heals in this chapter as well. And the disciples would have been full of strength and faith at seeing such things. That's the start of Matthew chapter 14. But we go now to Matthew 14 and verse 22. And this is the word that the Lord led me to. For this morning. Verse 22. Of Matthew 14. And straightway Jesus. Constrained his disciples. To get into a ship. And to go before him. There it is again. Jesus has told the disciples. Go before me. Get into the ship. And go before me. On to the other side. So Jesus has already said. To the disciples. Get into the ship. Go before me, and I'll meet you on the other side. He says it in verse 22. While he sent the multitudes away. It says Jesus constrained, or he ordered the disciples to get into the ship. While he sends away the multitudes. And he says, go before me. I'll see you on the other side. In verse 23, it says this. And when he had sent the multitudes away. He went up into a mountain apart to pray. Jesus sends away the multitudes. He sends the disciples into the ship. And he says, I'll meet you on the other side. Go before me. But the son of the living God goes to a mountain to pray on his own. And brothers and sisters, sometimes you need to get on your own. You need to get on your own. Close the door. Lock the door, whatever you need to do. Because to hear the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit, you won't hear it watching the TV. And I know we've all got children to look after, but you won't hear it with your children shouting in your ears. 
You need to get alone with the lovely Lord Jesus Christ. If the Son of God had to get alone to pray, what about you and me? What about you and me? I need to get alone. And when you get alone with Christ, you hear him start to speak. You hear him start to speak. Jesus had to get alone in verse 23 of Matthew 14. Now, the disciples were experienced fishermen. They knew Galilee well. They would have been experienced sailors and been familiar with the weather patterns. But in verse 24 of the chapter, it says this, But the ship was now in the midst of the sea. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. A storm breaks out. So the disciples are on the ship in the midst of the sea of Galilee. The multitude has been sent away and Jesus is on his own and he's praying. In the midst of the sea. Now if you go to John chapter 6 and verse 19. John 6. John 6 and verse 19. And it says this. In the account in John. So when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs. So remember we said that the width of Galilee was about eight miles. And it says on John's account in verse 19. So when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs that's about three and a half to four miles so where is the ship where is the ship now with the disciples on it on the sea of Galilee the ship is right smack bang in the center of the storm so the multitude has been sent away Jesus is praying on his own on the mountain top and the disciples are right in the middle Right in the middle of a storm. In this verse. In verse 25. It says this. And in the fourth watch of the night. Jesus went on to them walking. On the sea. Jesus waits. Till the disciples are right in the center of the storm. Right in the middle. Three and a half to four miles out. And the fourth watch would be 3 a.m., roughly 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. And Jesus goes out now, walking on the water. So Jesus waits till the ship's in the center of the storm. It's about three, between 3 and 6 a.m. And now Jesus comes on to the disciples in the storm, walking on the water. A picture of our creator over creation. He is supernatural. He is over all. And here in this verse, in verse 25, Jesus is walking on the water out to the disciples. And the disciples are in the middle of the storm in the ship. In verse 26 of the chapter, And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying it is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. Now a spirit in the Greek can mean a dead person, an angel, or a demon. And they cried out for fear. 
They just saw the miracles of Christ healing people. They just saw him feeding the 5,000, but as we said, probably more to 15,000. He has told them that he'll meet them on the other side. He has said, go before me. I'll meet you on the other side. On all of this, but the disciples in the verse are crying out for fear. They're forgotten. They're forgotten about the miracles. They're forgotten about Jesus saying, go before me. I'll see you on the other side. And now the disciples, a few hours later, just a few hours after seeing and hearing Christ perform these miracles, are in fear. And sometimes, you know, God's people, Jesus moves in in your life. He answers prayer in a supernatural way. And a few hours later, you're as flat as a pancake. You forgot how we forget, how I forget what Jesus has done, what Jesus has said that he's going to do in your life, giving you promises for your life. And a few hours later, it's as if he didn't even say them. In verse 27, But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. And in Mark chapter 6 and verse 48, in Mark's account, it says this, Mark 6 and verse 48, And he saw them toiling. He saw them toiling and would have passed them by. He saw them toiling and would have passed them by. He sees their toil. But it even says in that verse he would have passed them by. And you think of that. It's dark. There's no light. The storm is raging. The waters are roaring. The wind is howling. But Jesus sees them. But it's dark. It's dark. But he sees them. He sees them in their toil. He sees them in the center of the storm. And now he walks towards them. But it said in that verse, he would have passed them by. Jesus observes them. He watches them. He watches their struggle. He's beside them. He walks round about them. But they're missing Jesus. They're missing Jesus. And they're afraid and they're scared. And they're fearful. And they're struggling. Because they're toiling. They're toiling. The master's there. It says in the verse, he would have passed them by. What does that actually mean? Jesus is walking on the water faster than they're rowing. They're rowing. They're toiling. They're in the center of the storm. And Jesus is walking. He's walking and he looks at them. And he observes them in their storm. And he walks by. And he walks around. And he observes their struggle. I've said, I'll meet you on the other side. Go before me. I'll meet you on the other side. And they've forgotten the miracles. They've forgotten the words of the lovely Lord Jesus Christ. And they're toiling. And in their toil... They're missing the Savior. 
they're missing the Savior. The Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, is walking on the water quicker. He walks past the boat, basically. That's what it says. The boat's here, and he's watching him toiling. And he walks past the boat, and he looks like this. And he walks by, and he looks like this. And he goes, what's this? What's all the toil for? What's all the fear for? And he's looking at them, and he's observing them. In their struggles and in their toils. Jesus sees you, brother. And Jesus sees you, sister. Don't you forget it. You've come in here this morning and you're down in your boots. Where's Jesus? He's right there. And he's watching you. He's beside you. He's round about you. You think the Son of the living God shed his precious blood. And he's going to lose you. He won't lose any that he has redeemed by his precious shed blood. He won't lose any, not one. We'll all be taken home. We'll all be taken home. Jesus sees you in your struggles, toiling and exhausted. Are you toiling this morning? Are you exhausted? Stop and be at peace. Stop and be at peace. Where is Jesus? He's right there. He's where you are now. He's beside you. He's round about you. A journey that should have taken one to two hours has taken between six and twelve hours. You see, it's better to let Jesus be the captain of your life. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 10. For it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. He's your captain. You see, it's better when Jesus is at the wheel. It's better when Jesus is steering the ship, and then it's steady, and it's steadfast, and you can forget about your toiling. And let Jesus take over. Let go and let God. Let go and let God. Jesus let that ship, as he was praying on the mountaintop, go into the middle of that storm. Jesus let that happen. Testing and trial came. And refining comes in the storms. He knew exactly where to find the disciples in that sea of Galilee. And he knows exactly where to find you this morning in this tabernacle. He knows where you are. He knows all about you. And he's there. Where is Jesus this morning, you might be saying, in your storms? He's right there. But he's watching you. Storms come. They bring refining. They bring forth pruning. They bring forth fruit. How are you getting on in your storm? Are you toiling? And you're not busy toiling that you're missing the Savior and he's just walking past you. Where's Jesus? He's right there. He's walking on the water. He's watching you. He's observing you. At this point, in Matthew chapter 14, most people that you talk to would go down this route 
they would say, well, Peter's lack of faith, you know. Peter got out of the boat and he was walking on the water and he seen Jesus and he starts to sink and Jesus picks him out and Peter's lack of faith. Most people will go down that road. But the Lord said to me about calling. He said calling. Let's go back to the boat. Let's, let's forget about for a second that Peter has left the boat. And let's go back to the boat. In verse 28 of the chapter, Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou bid me come unto thee on the water. Now Peter, Peter says in the boat, he says, Lord, if it be thou bid me come, bid me come, Lord. And that shows Peter's great faith. And that shows Peter's strength. But how, how does it? Well, in verse 29, And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now let's think about it. Let's think about what has just happened with Peter. Peter gets on his feet. Now there's a storm, you have to remember, and the ship is boisterous. And the ship, the ship is, is roar, the winds are roaring and the ship's being tossed. And the winds and the rain and the howling and it's dark. But Peter stands up in the boat. I wouldn't have. Would you? Peter gets to his feet in the boat. He goes to the side of the boat. He climbs over the side of the boat. And he stands on the water. And he walks towards Jesus. Have you changed your mind about Peter? Have you changed your mind about Peter? I wouldn't have done any of that. I don't think. I have to be honest. Would you? Oh, Peter, he got out of the boat and he's walking towards Jesus and he sank. And, and, and the Lord does say, yes, ye have little faith. But go back to the boat. At least he got out. Peter got out of the boat. Verse 29 of the chapter. And he said, Come, and when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. And the account in Mark chapter 6 and verse 50. Mark chapter 6 and verse 50, and it says this. For they all saw him. They all saw him. Mark 6, verse 50. All the disciples saw Jesus. But only one got out of the boat. Only one got out of the boat. You changed your mind about Peter yet? What faith? And I know Christ said, Oh, ye of little faith. But I wouldn't have done any what Peter did. It's different now, isn't it? They all saw him. They all saw him. But only one answered the call. One. One got out of the boat. Peter gets to his feet. He goes to the side of the ship. 
And you can just see him standing there holding on for dear life on the side and the winds and the rain bashing off his face. And he sees Jesus. I don't know how because it was dark. But Jesus sees him. He steps over the side. Can you see the winds beating off the boat? And the waves beating off. Could you imagine? I'm going to step over the side here. Are you mad? You're crazy. And not only that, I'm going to walk on the water. He did it all. He did it all. And he was the only one that did it. The call went out and Peter left the boat. The call went out and he obeyed the call. You see, miracles happen when you step out in faith. That was a step of faith by Peter. And he walked on the water. He walked on the water. But faith requires focus. Who is the focus? The focus is Jesus. The focus is Jesus Christ. The true source of peace. The true source of power. Hope and perspective. The focus is Jesus. You see, faith unleashes the supernatural. And when Peter stepped over the boat in faith... The supernatural happened. He walked on the water in the middle of a storm on the Sea of Galilee. But fear will sink you. That's what sunk Peter. But do you want to know something? I'm not going to talk about Peter because I wouldn't have got out of the boat. I wouldn't have got out. You have to be honest. I wouldn't have got out of the boat. Can you imagine? But fear sunk Peter. But what faith, what faith Peter had, what faith. In verse 30 of the chapter. But when he saw the winds boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. Boisterous, strong, fearful. And afraid. In verse 31 of the chapter. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him. And said unto him, O thou of little faith. Wherefore didst thou doubt? Jesus says this. O thou of little faith. To Peter. But Jesus says this. And he was willing to go out to him on the water. You see part of the strength of faith consists of perseverance under trial. Perseverance under trial. In Revelation chapter 14 and verse 12. Revelation 14 and verse 12. Here's the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus Christ. Patience and faith. And patience in the Greek is macrothumia. And what does macrothumia mean? It means endurance, constancy, 
steadfastness and perseverance. You need them all. That's what's required to live the life that you're called to do. You're called. If God has called you to service and you haven't yet stepped out of the boat because you're scared, don't worry. Because we're all scared from time to time. And I'm all for gifts as well. Gifts are fantastic and praise God for them. And we need them to his glory. But you need endurance. You need constancy. You need steadfastness in the walk that you're called to do. That's what you need. Jesus enters the ship and the winds cease. Mark chapter 6, 51 and 52. Jesus enters the ship now and the winds cease. So the storm's over. It's okay. Jesus is in the boat. He's in the ship. Mark 6, 51 and 52. And he went up onto them into the ship and the wind ceased. And they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. And they considered not the miracle of the loaves for their heart was hardened. You got a hard heart this morning. Bet it. It'll get you nowhere. Show the love of Christ to your brothers and show the love of Christ to your sisters and worship him for he is worthy. Their hearts were hardened. They had forgot about the miracles. When did that miracle happen? The day before. The day before. All forgot about. Go before me, I'll meet you on the other side. All forgot. Their hearts were hardened. They forgot about the miracles that Jesus had done. And they forgot about his words. They should have learned from the lessons from the storm as the feeding of the 5,000. Namely that Christ is God. Hearts were hardened, stubborn, unbelief and forgot so quickly. Stubborn and unbelief and forgot what God has done. You look what God has done in this body of people in this last three years. Well, from it started, but I'm talking about the COVID time. You look how he has provided at every turn. We want for nothing. But it's easy to forget, isn't it? It's easy to forget. Oh, the old old tent creaks. Maybe this is where Jesus has us and wants us. Wherever Jesus wants me to go, I'll be there. Should I be an old shed at the back of the garden? Better to be a shed in our tent at the top of a hill than a brick building and the spirit's dead and not moving. Look at the church he's building. Look at this people. But he has plans. 
I know he has plans, but we have to wait. Jesus' timing is the best timing. Then you go into the center of the storm, and you let it happen. And you let it happen for a reason. Verse 33. And they that were in the ship came and worshipped him. Worshipped him. Saying of a truth thou art the Son of God. Worshipped him. Worship breaks out in the ship. But there was no worship when the storm was raging. There wasn't any. I was scared, afraid, terrified, forgot the miracles, forgot Jesus' words. No worship in the storm. Have you learnt to worship in your storms? That's different. Oh, it's all calm now. We're all right. Storm's over. Let's worship Jesus. Why don't you worship him in the storm's raging? Because he's still God and you're still his. I lost control. Pruning. Fruit. God, Lord, let the storm go. No. I'm going to let you go right into the middle because I need to speak to you and you have something to learn. I have something to lose. What are they all? Refining. Refining of the Holy Spirit and the lovely Lord Jesus Christ. Worship. In verse 33, a sign that Christ is to be honored as God, the Son of God, and the Christ. Yet plainly no mere man. Possessing the power of the Creator over His creation, the lovely Lord Jesus Christ. Have you learned to worship in your storms? Have you learned to worship in your storms? When the rubber hits the road and things are getting tight and you can feel your gut tightening and the stress going up the back of your neck, get to your knees. Say, Lord, I'm getting it tight here, but I'm going to worship you anyway. That's when your refining comes. And that's whenever you really start to learn in your walk with God. Peace is not found in the absence of the storm. It's found in the presence of Jesus. You can have peace in your storm. When Jesus bid Peter to come out of the boat and come on to him and walk on the water, he didn't stop the storm. He let him walk through it. He didn't stop the storm. He let him walk through the storm. You say to me, well, look at the prophets. Look at the disciples. Look at the, the martyrs. And, and how do I, if Jesus has called me, how do I do it? What do I need? How do I answer this call? Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. If you're, if you're wondering, how do, what do I go to here? I've been called and I'm afraid and I'm scared and I don't know what to do. 
How do I go about this? What do I need? Well, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10 tells you. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And that word strong, in the Greek, it means in Deuteronomy. It's two words. It's E-N and then Deuteronomy, which is a compound word. In Deuteronomy, or Deuteronomy. In means in. A Deuteronomy, or Deuteronomy, means explosive strength, ability and power. It's where we get the word from dynamite. So, in Deuteronomy, strength, and this is what this is this is what this verse says. And Deuteronomy, and the word in Deuteronomy presents a picture, strength. And Deuteronomy, it's a picture of explosive power that is placed into a vessel. So en in is in en. That's the Greek. And it's explosive power. And do the male strength. But it has to be going to the vessel. You're the vessel. You're it. Explosive power. And do the male. And the strength here in this verse. Is yours. So how do I answer my calling? How am I steadfast? How do I stay steadfast and strong as I walk and answer the call of Christ? The Deuteronomy. You are the vessel in Deuteronomy dynamite. And this power and this strength is for you. That's what the verse means. Finally, my brethren, be strong. The Deuteronomy. Be strong. Be strong in Jesus. Open up your lives and take this power and this might and this dynamite, this will do the mail and receive it. And when you receive it, then the supernatural strength of the Holy Spirit enters your life. And then that's when you stand. That's when you stand. How do I answer my call to do the mail? Strength. Strength from the Holy Spirit. And then you get grip. You get a backbone. You get determination. You get steadfastness. And no matter what comes, you go, no. I'm standing for Christ. I'm standing for Christ. The storms come. Worship. Praise his holy name. The storm passes. Praise him again. And do the bell. Open yourself up to the Spirit, your souls and your bodies, the Spirit of the living God, a supernatural strength and a supernatural power that is needed to answer your calling. Peter walked on the water not to boast about what he had done, but to get closer to Jesus. Closer to Jesus. Every day. Would you walk on water to get closer to Jesus? He was supported by Jesus to do what he did because it was a supernatural pursuit. 
Peter was on a supernatural pursuit of Jesus. He was in pursuit of Jesus. Do you pursue Jesus? Because that's where your strength comes from. Pursue him. More of him every day. Feeding on his word. Listening for the spirit to speak to you. Pursuit of Jesus. And when you go in pursuit of God, you will stop toiling. You will know his power in your life. His peace. And then you can answer your call. Then you can answer your call. Whatever that may be. Fully relied on Jesus. Because you will know your weaknesses then. Peter started to sink. I can't, I can't do this, Glenn. I can't, I can't answer this call. But then you see Jesus reached down and pulled him out. And he lifts him up and he dusts him down. And he sends him out again. And you'll fall again. And he'll lift you up and he'll dust you down. And he'll send you away. And you'll fall again. Because he knows what you're like. You're flesh. They do it every day. Get up. Get up. Get up and get going. Because we're just flesh. The flesh rages against the spirit every day. Who's your Who's your enemy as as a believer? It's yourself. I am my, my own worst enemy. I have to keep myself in a tight leash. How do you do it? You do it through the word. You do it through the word. None other than the Lord's. None other than the world's creator. Could multiply the loaves and the fish at the start of the chapter. None other than the world's governor could tread the waters of the sea or give others the power to do so. So, to finish, tired toiling, hand it over to your captain, the lovely Lord Jesus Christ. Called and if you're called, it's time you're out of the boat. It's time you're out of the boat. Thanks for listening. Praise God.